It's time for America Outdoors Radio, the show that covers the outdoor scene across the U.S. of A. and the entire continent. Fishing, hunting, conservation, outdoor recreation, and great destinations, we cover it all every week. It's your country, your outdoors. Let's explore it together with your host, John Cruz. Welcome to the show. It is early fall, and I'll tell you what, as far as I'm concerned, it's the most wonderful time of the year. That's because, as an angler, I love the fact that the fall bite is on. All sorts of species are biting hard right now, and this might be the easiest time of year to catch fish because they're all putting on the feed bag before winter. It's also a great time to be a hunter because hunting seasons are opening up right and left all over the country right now. And whether you're a big game hunter or a bird hunter, there's a lot to look forward to. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be scouting some locations for the upcoming duck season this weekend. This week on the show, we've got some great guests for you. One of them is Matt Stewart. He's with the National Wild Turkey Federation, and they are inducting some new members into their National Calling Championship Hall of Fame. Didn't even know there was such a thing, but there is, and Matt's going to tell you more about it and who the inductees are. If you're in the market for a new deer hunting rifle, John Snow, the shooting editor for Outdoor Life, is going to join us and share some of the best deer hunting rifles of 2023, and he breaks them down by application. For example, what's a good mountain rifle, in terms of being lightweight, might not be the best rifle for the Northwoods, or maybe out in Pennsylvania, or up in Alaska. It's going to be an interesting conversation. Speaking of interesting conversations, we will also get to chat with Jared Wicklin with Pheasants Forever. They've just come out with their 2023 state-by-state pheasant hunting forecast, and Jared's going to share some info on some great states to go pheasant hunting this year. If you're heading to the Lone Star State, you might want to bring your bass rod and head to one of the destinations that Shea Baker, writing for Field and Stream, is going to tell you about. He penned an article about the 15 best bass lakes in Texas, and we're going to go over six of them to include the top five towards the end of the show today. Before we talk to our first guest today, let's share a few fishing reports from around the nation. On the Water Magazine's got a northeast offshore report. They say south of Martha's Vineyard has been seeing great tuna fishing since the storm passed recently. The yellowfin fishing has been good as it gets out of New Jersey, and the canyons are producing bluefin, swords, big eye, and some big wahoo. Utah's Division of Wildlife Resources has a forecast for Bear Lake on the border of Utah and Idaho. The water temperature there is about 69 degrees and fishing has improved the past week and will pick up even more as we head into fall. According to the DNR, fishing has been very good for cutthroat trout and even a few lake trout. Anglers are catching fish while jigging or trolling. The best spots have been off the rock pile near Ideal Beach or from the Utah State Park Mana northward to Fish Haven. The fishing's also been good at Lake Lanier in northern Georgia. That's the word from Georgia DNR and Phil Johnson, who reports bass fishing on Lake Lanier is good and getting better. The lake is currently down four and a half feet, so you'll want to be careful running the lake as there are very shallow areas that are starting to appear. Pearson says that the falling temperatures at the lake have the bass moving into a fall topwater mode. One offering called the Riser was a very good performer over the last week, as it seems it's something new the bass haven't seen. 
Captain Josh Thornton reports that the crappie fishing is also good at Lake Lanier. They've been finding the crappie 8 to 15 feet deep, over a 20 to 30 foot bottom. Yes, they are suspended, and when it comes to bait, he recommends using small baits like a gray sugar bug. Our final fishing report takes us to the border of Oregon and Washington on the Columbia River, where fall Chinook are on the bite. And places to go right now to find them would include the mouth of the Deschutes River and the mouth of the Klickitat River. You can also find them further upstream at Hanford Reach. And if you're looking for a place to stay in the area and places to eat, maybe guides to book a trip with, go to the Dalles Area Chamber of Commerce website. You'll find information there. Next on America Outdoors Radio, we are taking you to South Carolina. That's the home of the National Wild Turkey Federation. And they have just announced that there is a Hall of Fame class being inducted into the Grand National Calling Championships. Well, this here to tell you more about the championship and the Hall of Fame class is Matt Stewart with the National Wild Turkey Federation. Matt, welcome to the show. John, thank you. Good to be here. Let's start off talking about the Grand National Calling Championship. When and where does this take place, and what's the format? Yeah, so the Grand National Calling Championships, this will be the 47th year, I believe, starting in 77 at Hershey, Pennsylvania. It runs Thursday, Friday, Saturday at our National Convention and Sports Show in Nashville, Tennessee, February 15th, 16th, and 17th. A lot of callers. We had uh, almost 240 registered callers last year that uh, qualified. Most of them qualify at local regional events to get to Grand Nationals. So we'll start on Thursday, 15th of February in Nashville with owl and gobbling and uh, prelims of our friction division. So it goes from there. Friction division and senior open are the big ones that require qualifications at at a local event. You have to win first or finish behind somebody who's already qualified to get to Nashville. So we'll start to, with 40, 40 to 50 callers in friction and senior divisions, and we'll cut it down. Uh, they have prelims on Friday and Saturday, and we'll cut it down to 13 of the top callers in the country. So Thursday and Friday are kind of your prelims, Allen Gobbling and their youth divisions. Certainly uh, we want to spotlight the up-and-coming callers uh, and the future of, of calling and turkey hunting. So we have youth divisions on Friday evening. Also a team challenge where two callers team up and compete against other callers from around the country. So how long has there been a Hall of Fame for the Grand National Calling Championship? Yeah, so in 2019, we instituted the Grand National Calling Championships Hall of Fame. Uh, That was the first class. In 2019, uh, we had a a 2020 class. We had a a year off due to COVID and 22 and 23. So this will be our fifth class, four classes previously, 19, 20, 21, 22. Let's briefly run through this year's inductees. We'll start off with Billy Yargis from Missouri. What's his story? Yeah, so Billy, uh, three-time Grand National Champion in the Senior Open. Great, great caller. 2008, 2015, and 2016 won the Grand Nationals. Back-to-back champion there in 15-16, which is pretty hard to do. Great caller. He's since retired and, and helps with judging and, and other things that are Grand National competition. So, uh, He's been an asset to the Grand Nationals, promoted the sport, talks and helps other callers. Just a great ambassador of, of turkey calling. And then there's Eddie Salter. He hails from Alabama. I understand his nickname is the Turkey Man. You got it. The Turkey Man in Alabama. Just about everybody knows him, particularly down in the southeast. But on our specialties, he's a longtime representative, world champion uh, in turkey calling in 85 and 89. Just really was a 
mainstay on the turkey hunting stage in the 80s and 90s. A lot of people just grew up with him, knew him. He's been a judge. He's been an MC for local contests all over the country, particularly in Alabama. And uh, he dominated pretty much uh, every contest in Alabama in the 80s and 90s. Last but not least, from the great state of New York, Chris Kirby. Absolutely, Chris Kirby, Quaker boy fame. His, his dad, Dick Kirby, is actually one of the first inductees into the Hall of Fame. So we've got a father-son connection for the first time, uh, which is pretty exciting. But Chris, in his own right, was an outstanding caller in the 90s. Pretty much uh, dominated the mid-late 90s at local contests and won Grand Nationals uh, in 98. He's also won one of the few callers who's won Grand Nationals, the World Contest, and the U.S. Open. So Chris is a great ambassador for the NWTF and Turkey Calling Nationwide. Well, congratulations are definitely in order to Billy, Eddie, and Chris. And folks, if you want to find out more about the Grand National Calling Championships or the annual convention that takes place in Nashville, the website to go to, nwtf.org. That's nwtf.org for the National Wild Turkey Federation. And consider joining a chapter near you and maybe competing. Who knows? You may be able to qualify and get in on the Grand National Calling Championship yourself. Matt, thanks so much for sharing this with us today. I do appreciate Appreciate it, sir. Thank you, John. Excited about uh, Nashville in February, and uh, hopefully everybody can come out and join us and, and watch some of the competition. No doubt it would be a whole bunch of fun. the Dalles in Oregon for outdoors fun. Hike amongst the wildflowers, bike our riverfront trail, or visit the Gorge Discovery Center where you can enjoy a live raptor display, or even check out our National Neon Sign Museum. But don't forget the fishing. We've got salmon, steelhead, bass, walleye, and monster-sized sturgeon waiting just for you. When the day is done, tell those tall tales at one of our wineries, breweries, or restaurants, and plan your next adventure. Find out more at explorethedalles.com. Campers, adventure seekers, hunters, and foodies. No matter the lifestyle, we can all agree on one thing. Great food and great people are worth remembering. At Camp Chef, we don't just make grills. We create each product knowing that a warm meal is always better when it's shared with those we love. Learn more about Camp Chef grills, smokers, and portable cooking equipment at CampChef.com. That's CampChef.com for a better way to cook outdoors. Immerse yourself in a complete Alaska wilderness experience through Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Up to six of you will spend a week in a beautiful waterfront log home in a secluded cove. Every day is a new adventure. Go on a guided fishing trip or haul in a bounty of shrimp and crab. Visit a Native American village where totem poles are carved. Go on a whale or bear watching trip and return back to your very own place at the end of the day. Find out more about the Alaska wilderness experience at alaskasbestlodge.com. That's alaskasbestlodge.com. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nationwide nonprofit organization dedicated to providing hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under who suffer from life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. These adventures make big differences in the lives of those who participate in them, and in many cases are literally a dream come true that brings hope and therapy to their lives. Find out more, get involved, or donate today at huntofalifetime.org. That's huntofalifetime.org. Huntofalifetime.org. 
Welcome back to America Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. The modern firearm deer hunting season is just about here, and that's why we've got John Snow on the line, longtime shooting editor for Outdoor Life. Just wrote an article about the best deer hunting rifles for 2023. John, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So I've got to ask you a question. You've been doing this a long time. Are you like the bass tournament anglers who get a new bass boat every year? Do you like go into the woods or out on the plains with a new hunting rifle every year? You know, sometimes it kind of feels that way. I do try to circle back to some of my favorites because, you know, they were my favorites for a reason. But with the sort of the pace of rifle and cartridge introductions, it becomes somewhat of a task to give real meaningful field experience with them. So I kind of got to balance the two impulses. Gotcha. Well, that makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. Now, you picked several different best ofs for 2023 based on the type of hunt you're going to do. We're going to go through some of those. But before we get into that, what was the process to pick the best deer rifle? For example, we'll say Western Mountains. You've got a certain rifle you picked, and why did you pick it over other ones? Right. Well, you know, I mean, over the years, I've tested, you know, dozens of different rifles, most of them suitable for deer hunting. In addition to that, you know, we've got a very avid and active staff that's that's out in the field every fall as well. So when you combine what we do with our annual gun tests, our hands-on experiences, and just kind of our, our general curiosity about this space, we end up developing a tremendously long list of candidate rifles. And, you know, there are certainly some general purpose deer rifles, and, and we talk about those and praise those, but for specific types of hunting, you know, the the Western Mountains that you mentioned, for example, you know, that's going to be a subset of these rifles. And among those, the uh, the Saco 85 Finlight is one that has performed extremely well for us over the years. It's not to say that there aren't other good mountain lightweight deer rifles. There certainly are, but that has been a uh, a particularly good one, both for you know, just kind of how it handles its accuracy, its construction, but also, you know, its ergonomics and, and other touches that kind of elevate it above the rest. And it's sort of with those tangible and intangible qualities in mind that we narrowed down the the list and, and I settled on the, the specific rifles we picked for each application. Let's head from the the mountainous west to the north woods of Minnesota or Michigan. What rifle did you find to be the best of the year for there? Well, you know, we've been big fans of Henry. They have been around for a little over a quarter century and have continued to kind of improve their products and refine them. And their Action X model, which is a, a synthetic stocked lever action that has a side loading gate and has the ability to be loaded through the tubular magazine, really stood out to us. You know, those those rifles, if you've ever handled them, they are they're smooth, they're easy to operate, they're rugged and reliable, their accuracy is consistent with that type platform, and, and they're just a heck of a value. And so, anyway, the Henry got the nod there. That said, they're going to be in a bit of a, a race now that Marlin has got the 336 back online. So that's going to be a great rivalry to watch unfold as, as time goes on here. 
Hey, competition is better for everyone as far as I'm concerned. One thing about the Henry Lover Action X model, though, that stood out to me was the caliber. It's a 45 caliber rifle, and that's one you don't think of too often for deer hunting. No, you know, the, the 4570 is one of our oldest extant calibers in terms of its heritage. You know, it dates, you know, back to the black powder era. And, and you know, it, it's one of those cartridges that if you kind of just looked at it on paper, you'd think that this thing was doomed for, for obsolescence. But it keeps getting sort of revitalized in different ways, in part because, you know, since it was introduced, we've had much stronger actions that have come on the market that have been able to withstand, you know, higher pressures and deliver better velocity. And it is a just a real thumper when it comes to hunting deer. In fact, you know, I picked, you know, as, as crazy it is, we talk about my Western rifles. You know, I did a, a whitetail hunt a couple years ago in Wyoming, which is wide open country. And I decided to have a, you know, a, a total lever action on that hunt with me in, in 4570. And it, and it really is just a great, a great cartridge. I mean, it just hits with such authority. So, yeah, no, it's, you know, for really long shooting, not the best choice, but for anything up close, my God, it's hard, it's hard to beat. Yep, and you're right. Most of those shots in the Northwoods, they are up close. Let's head to Pennsylvania, where a lot of folks enjoy their whitetail hunting. What do you recommend there? Well, you know, th that was a little bit of an interesting pick for us because among the, the rifles that I chose, all of them are currently in production except for the one that I chose for Pennsylvania, which is the, the Remington 760 and 7600, those classic slide action, pump action, center fire rifles. You know, that is the iconic repeater in those Pennsylvania woods, and it's still a great choice for that kind of hunting. Not too dissimilar to the lever action 4570 in terms of the distance of the shots and, and so forth. But those two guns, that 760 and that 7600, you know, they're, they're just as viable today as they were when they were first introduced. And a lot of folks are watching their wallets, watching their budgets. And that's why I always appreciate the fact that you have a great value rifle every year. And what is it this year? Well, it's the Savage 110. You know, I mean, that 110 Hunter has been a uh, mainstay in Savage's line for decades, and with good reason. You know, you know, as, as much as you know, you know, I'm kind of a gun snob, and I like my custom guns and fancier rifles. But sort of at, at our core, you know, me and the the other editors on staff, you know, we just cotton to a great value. And Savage has really been a standard bearer for affordable accuracy for decades. You know, the construction of that rifle and its action is incredibly smart. There are some good cost-saving measures that also enhance accuracy. You know, the way that they use their barrel nut system to headspace consistently for, uh, you know, when they construct the rifle. They've also got a free-floating bolt head there that makes that bolt assembly cheaper to manufacture, but the floating bolt head allows the, the lugs to kind of self-center in the chamber. And of course, anytime you can enhance how something is centered up in a rifle system, that's going to lead to better accuracy. And really, nobody kind of combines those two things, the, the affordability and the accuracy as well as Savage has. So that, that's why they got the nod. All right. Well, there's plenty of other categories that are available to check out for the best deer hunting rifles of 2023. If you want to do so, just go to OutdoorLife.com, go to the gear section, and look, 
for the best deer hunting rifles of 2023, written by Jon Snow. And you can find a rifle for whatever situation you're going to be hunting. Go out there, get one, and have some success this fall. John, always a pleasure, sir, to have you on America Outdoors Radio. Thank you so much for having me. Sticking with firearms and thinking of Christmas already, I've got a great idea for you. And that would be giving somebody a personalized Henry Golden Boy or Golden Boy Silver rifle. Here's what you do. You just buy a Golden Boy or Golden Boy Silver rifle from your local Henry dealer. Think up 20 words that you would like to leave with a loved one for life. Then you purchase a personalized Golden Boy or personalized Golden Boy Silver receiver cover. They'll engrave the message for you at Henry repeating arms, make sure it looks great, and you just replace that standard receiver cover with your new personalized one. No gunsmith needed, just five screws holds it together. Box that rifle back up, wrap it for Christmas, and wait for Christmas morning to give somebody a very special gift they will remember the rest of their life. Find out more at HenryUSA.com. That's HenryUSA.com. Purchase the best Christmas gift ever today. Hunting and fishing are exercises in hope. Before you head into the woods, you hope to tag out on a deer you'll have to field dress. Before you make that first cast, you hope for a big fish to clean and fillet. When your hopes are realized, you'll need a sharp knife. Whether you sharpen that blade on a power sharpener in the shop or a manual sharpener in the field, WorkSharp has the tool for you. Look for WorkSharp products in sporting and stores near you or online at WorkSharpTools.com. Are you looking to reel in the marketing opportunity of a lifetime? Then set the hook because we've got it right here for you. America Outdoors Radio has sponsorships available, and we offer affordable platforms to reach thousands of listeners interested in fishing, hunting, and the outdoors. Find out more by contacting John Cruz through his website at AmericaOutdoorsRadio.com. You're back in with America Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. Pheasant season is fast approaching. That's why we've got Jared Wicklin on the line with Pheasants Forever to break down the 2023 pheasant hunting forecast. Jared, welcome back to the show. Hey, John. Thanks for having me. So let's talk about overall trends across the nation for this year. Yeah. You know, overall trends across pheasant country is I think a lot of us were trying to figure out what was going to happen as we went into winter of last year. Last year, pheasant populations were, were pretty good across much of the range. And then we went into right around Christmas, we started off with some really nasty weather across most of the pheasant range, especially in the Midwest and also in some of the western states as well. We had some massive winter storms come and dump anywhere from 10 to 18 inches that iced over. People were seeing pheasants on the side of the road early in the winter, which is not good. So I think a lot of us were wondering what was going to happen. But the spring came quick. There was a lot of moisture, which could be both good and bad, but we've been going through drought in a lot of the country. So, you know, talking with people out on the countryside this spring, summer, and now into early fall, things are have been about as green as they can be in a lot of areas that experienced drought for probably three or four years in a row. So that made for good nesting conditions. And for the most part, there's a lot of states that saw a nice increase in pheasants for this year, which we're really happy about. 
Well, let's go ahead and dive into some of the states where you have pheasant hunting forecasts. We can't get to them all, but we can certainly get some of the highlights. We'll start off with South Dakota, a state that you and I got to hunt pheasant in a few years ago. Yeah, for sure. So South Dakota, they don't do brood surveys there anymore, but they do do harvest surveys. So coming off the 2022-2023 season, the estimate from South Dakota Game Fish and Parks Department uh, is that hunters bagged north of 1.15 million pheasants last year. It was a great season in South Dakota. And like I said, those, that's one of the states that experienced some heavy, heavy winter here coming through the winter of 22-23. But you know, for the most part, they they got a lot of rain. There weren't long stretches of sub-zero weather, which can affect pheasants big time, especially if we have some ice. So South Dakota is one of those states that can have a pretty <laughs> unrelenting prairie winter. But for the most part, they came out of it good. We got a shot in the arm from some much-needed added moisture from snow and rains early on. And, you know, speaking with farmers, speaking with ranchers, speaking with our own biologists, Things are actually setting up pretty good in South Dakota. We've got some reports coming in, especially from our staff, of some really, really strong brood numbers in places, both quantity of broods in the landscape and then the number of birds in each one of those broods. Um, I've had people talk about anywhere from 6 to 14 in the brood um, that was coming through in our reports, which is great. So uh, I think South Dakota is going to be a real winner this year once again. When you couple that with things that Pheasant Forever and our partners have going on, we just launched our PATH program here a couple weeks ago, which I think you and I talked about, but public access to habitat is providing another $25 incentive on top of incentives that are already in place open up quality land and habitat to public access. So I think you're going to see some good things out of South Dakota this year. Sounds great. Makes me want to drive there right now. All I need is a dog. (laughs) All right, let's head to a state that, that most people don't think of as a pheasant hunting state, Missouri. Yeah, you know, Missouri, believe it or not, Missouri can have good pockets of pheasant numbers based on where you are in the state. Those pockets are scattered across the northern part, so you think the top two two tiers of counties, north central and northwest are places where people focus on, but even out of the northeast, for folks that go and read our pheasant forecast, there have been some good numbers coming out of the northeast as well. There's plenty of conservation areas in the northern quarter of the state. There's Missouri Recreational Access Program sites, also called MRAP, where private land is leased for hunter access. And one note that we put in our report, too, is that hunters shouldn't overlook Missouri's quail restoration landscapes. It's where habitat work is going on on both public and private. And there are pheasants on some of those, but you also get the overlap once quail opens up to to harvest quail as well. And in some of those cases, there's densities up to a bird per acre on some of those quail restoration landscapes. So it gives you a really nice mixed bag to chase after in Missouri. And you're close enough to the border where, you know, if you want to hunt Missouri and Iowa, you can sort of cross over there once you get both licenses. So that can be a really fun hunt for people and something that's really overlooked, especially when people are traveling to North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, Iowa, some of those other bigger states that are well known for pheasants. Uh, speaking of Minnesota, your home state, uh, certain you have some personal insight as to how things are going to be. I do, yeah. You know, Minnesota, again, another one of those states where we just had pretty catastrophic winter weather uh, around Christmas time and then stretching into January and February. But we got rid of the snow really quick in the spring, and I didn't have a good gauge or feeling about how things were going to work out. But there was a lot of pheasants on the landscape from last year. We had just absolutely ideal nesting conditions. It was dry, a couple cool nights in there, but it was it was dry. And then it, it really, really warmed up earlier in the spring. 
and that help pheasant numbers, boom. Um, we just had about three weeks ago here, we had our annual forecast come out from the state and it showed triple digit numbers as far as pheasant abundance from 2022 to 2023. So if you're coming to Minnesota this year, I think it's going to be a great fall. That southwest portion of the state, which usually has the highest pheasant numbers, once again, is going to reign supreme. You get down anywhere, Brown County, Lincoln County, Yellow Medicine County, Worthington in Minnesota, all those places in the southwest are looking really, really good this year. And I know for a fact, talking with a farmer buddy of mine who I graduated from college with, he wasn't seeing much early on, and then all of a sudden the pheasants just exploded and came out of the woodwork. So people can look forward to a good hunting season this year in Minnesota. Continuing with states that start with the letter M, let's head to Montana because I know a lot of pheasant hunters from states like Idaho and Washington and even Oregon who don't have great pheasant hunting necessarily will head to the Treasure State to go after pheasant because it can have some very good hunting there. Yeah, Montana, um, I actually hunted Montana last year for about the second time ever, and it was a very fun hunt. The nice thing about Montana is when you're chasing pheasants, you're also going to run in, depending on where you are, you're also going to run into sharp tails, and you're also going to run into Hungarian partridge. Right. You know, some of the early indications show from guys that are out there right now, guys and gals that have reported back, you know, hunting prairie grouse are seeing pretty good pheasant populations, especially when you get into make that switch over from sort of short grass prairie to tall grass prairie and some of those areas, coolies, you know, that are choked with brush and, and grass. That's when you really start getting into the pheasants. And there's been some pretty good reports. I actually just talked to a friend yesterday that was hunting eastern Montana, kind of southeastern, and he was moving up to northeastern. And he said things look pretty good. So Montana did have successive years of drought and a pretty harsh winter in 2022 and 2023. But again, with that, you get you get moisture back that helps build habitat, helps grow grass. And anytime we can do that, the birds benefit especially really good brooding conditions. So that's where we're at, Montana. I think people can still expect a fun hunt out there, like I said, uh, not just pheasants. You've got a sort of multi-bag experience if you want it. And there's a lot of places to hunt in that state, everywhere from state-owned land, block management, BLM. There's a lot of different options out there for upland hunters, which is a true hunting destination for sure. So many other destinations and states to talk about, but so little time. So you're going to have to go to pheasantsforever.org. Check out the 2023 pheasant hunting forecast if we didn't get to your state. And check out some of your neighboring states too. Go on a road trip. Go pheasant hunting this year. A lot of states are going to offer some very good hunting and you don't want to miss out. And if you believe in pheasant and conserving them, then check out pheasantsforever.org and become a member of this great organization. Jared, thanks for sharing this with us today on America Outdoors Radio. Thanks, John. Hope to see you in the field. This portion of the show is brought to you by our friends at WorkSharp. And if you are hunting this fall, you know the importance of a sharp knife. You're going to need it for gutting that animal, butchering that animal, taking the hide off that animal, and there's a good chance... You have to sharpen it more than once while you're doing these things in the field. That's why a pocket knife sharpener or the guided field sharpener from WorkSharp are great items to have with you. Whether you're after deer, elk, pronghorn, or bear, a sharp knife helps you get things done after you drop that animal. Look for WorkSharp products at sporting goods stores, hardware stores, and ranch and home stores near you, or online at WorkSharpTools.com. That's WorkSharpTools.com.
We've been telling you about Sportsman's Cove Lodge in southeast Alaska for a while now, and there's a reason. They are the only Alaska Lodge we talk about in this show. It's because they're truly Alaska's best lodge. The adventure starts with a float plane ride from Ketchikan, after which you'll get the chance to experience some of the best hospitality, food, and wonderful people you'll ever meet. Wildlife is abundant, from bears and deer to eagles and whales, and let's not forget the reason you're here, the fishing. Halibut, salmon, lingcod, rockfish, true cod, and more. It's all waiting for you in abundance at Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Book your trip today at alaskasbestlodge.com. That's alaskasbestlodge.com for Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nationwide nonprofit organization dedicated to providing hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under who suffer from life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. These adventures make big differences in the lives of those who participate in them, and in many cases are literally a dream come true that brings hope and therapy to their lives. Find out more, get involved, or donate today at huntofalifetime.org. That's huntofalifetime.org. Huntofalifetime.org. I'm Anthony Imperato, president of Henry Repeating Arms. Patriotic Americans are looking to protect and provide for their families, now more than ever. Henry has over 200 rifles and shotguns to choose from, made in America or not made at all, and backed by a lifetime guarantee. Go to HenryUSA.com and order our free catalog, decals, and a list of dealers in your area. That's HenryUSA.com. Thank you, and God bless America. Attention, small business owners. This could be the most important 10-minute call you will ever make. You may be eligible to receive up to $26,000 per employee through the Employee Retention Credit. Call Omega Accounting Solutions to see if your business is eligible to recover payroll tax pay during the pandemic. All it takes is a quick, easy, free 10-minute consultation to determine your qualifications. Call Omega Accounting Solutions at 800-309-ERC. Omega's knowledgeable staff will streamline the process of filing complicated paperwork. Omega is the small business champion with teams dedicated to maximizing tax credits. CPAs even turn to Omega for ERC guidance. Take advantage of this exclusive small business tax credit before it's too late. The three-year sunset deadline is setting soon. So find out if you qualify today. Call 800-309-ERC. That's 800-309-ERC. Or visit OmegaTaxCredits.com. Looking to reel in the marketing opportunity of a lifetime? Then set the hook because we've got it right here. America Outdoors Radio has sponsorships available, and we offer an affordable platform to reach thousands of listeners interested in fishing, hunting, and the outdoors. Find out more by contacting host John Cruz through his website at AmericanOutdoorsRadio.com. That's AmericanOutdoorsRadio.com. But hurry, if you wait too long, this big opportunity might just get away. That's AmericanOutdoorsRadio.com. Next up on America Outdoors Radio, we got Shay Baker on the line, longtime freelancer who covers the bass fishing scene. And he just wrote a great article you can find at fieldandstream.com about the top bass fishing lakes in the Lone Star State of Texas. Shay, welcome to the show. How are you doing today, bud? I am doing quite well, and I love your top 15 list. You've got five honorable mentions, you've got five runners up, and then you got the top five. And 
We're going to go through the top five today, but I do want to hit one of the runners up, and that is Lake Ray Roberts. It's north of Dallas, and that's one lake I'm familiar with. Got to go out on the water as a media observer watching Chris Johnston do some practice fishing there. I was pretty impressed by that lake. Yeah, that uh, that classic, you know, anytime you have a classic in the summer, and it was early summer, but we haven't really had Bass National Classic in the summer in several years, but obviously COVID threw a wrench and everything, and then the next year, you know, the big freeze happened in Texas. I think it was supposed to happen at the normal time, but then got pushed to the summer, so it was pretty impressive weights for the summer, and it looked like that lake, you know, didn't have a lot of a lot of fish in it, but it had good quality, and so obviously Hank Cherry did what he did flipping bushes and uh, fishing a vibrating jig around them and throwing that dirt back. So it's a pretty versatile fishery, it looked like. And so it's, uh, it was cool to see the classic go there for sure. It was indeed. And that, folks, if you ever get the chance to attend the Bassmaster Classic, it's a combination of bass fishing and NASCAR, and, and it's like nothing else. You should definitely go sometime. All right, let's dive into the top four. We're going to head to the Rio Grande River and the border of Mexico with Falcon Lake, big lake that, unfortunately, I, I associate with some cartel violence more than I do bass fishing. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's one that, you know, and I'm no Texas fishery expert. Let me start there. Like, I, I was tasked with this because Field Dream saw the opportunity to write something that people wanted to know about. And so I did some research, and, and I have been to some of these lakes. I've been to Falcon before, covered a tournament there, and then I actually went out and fished it. And like you said, it's it's sketchy is a good word for it. Uh, <laughs> I think it's safe within reason, I mean. But whenever you go there, like the first time I went there to cover a tournament, they had a what I would equate to a baby battleship out there for basically protection while the Elite Series were fishing more. I think for intimidation, I mean, when you see a boat probably 100 long, 80, 100 feet long with 50 cows on it, it probably is a bigger deterrent than you actually having to use it. And so that was pretty eye-opening. But that lake's just such a historic fishery. It's got big ones in it. And it's just there's something about kind of the, the danger and the excitement and the adventure of going out onto a place like that that is a little sketchy. So that's why, you know, and other people had it in their top 10. And so kind of why I raised it up to fifth position is just partly for the novelty of it, and then also it's got big ones. Well, let's take a look at number four. This one is also a border lake, but it's not an international border. It's the border of Louisiana and Texas, Toledo Bend Reservoir. Yeah, it's one of those long-time tournament fisheries. You've got a lot of tournaments that go there, and again, it's got big fish, and I think that's really the key when looking at this you know, top 10, top 15 list is everybody associates with Texas. Everything's bigger in Texas, right? So right. you don't really want to talk about a lake where you can go catch 100 fish. You want to talk about that lake where you can go catch some five-plus pounders. And so Toledo's always been one of those tournament fisheries where some good fish can be caught, and it's a pretty dynamic fishery, too. Sam Rayburn, this is another one that attracts a lot of tournaments, and for good reason. Yeah, same kind of deal. And a lot of the lakes out there kind of blend together to me at times. Sam Rayburn's another one that has a, a lot of timber and a lot of vegetation in different seasons of it. And so another great tournament fishery. So it's another lake where, yeah, you can catch some big ones, but you can catch some pretty good numbers too. And it makes it pretty high up there on the list because it has that potential, but you can also go out and just enjoy a good day of fishing. And, you know, 17 pounds might not sound like much to the Texas angler, but somebody coming from, you know, Mississippi over there, it's a really good day on the water and you still have the chance to catch a big one too. So I'll tell you what, uh, coming from Washington State, that'd be a really good day of fishing. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. All right. Now, number two, I'm not familiar with this body of water, O-H-I-V, but you've got it very highly rated. 
Yeah, and it's one I'm not really familiar with, too. And I think it was a sleeper for a long time for a lot of people outside of Texas. But uh, in the last couple of years, so I also based a lot of this on uh, Texas Pipe has a top 50 biggest largemouth ever caught list. And so OHIV has two of the more recent ones in the last two years, I think February of 2022 and then back in maybe March of this past year. There were two 17-pound bass caught out of OHIV. So I think that really put it on the national radar and created a lot of buzz. And it was basically a gold rush, you know, at that point as everybody and their brother was headed out there to try to catch a giant. And so I don't know how well it sustained that kind of pressure. But, you know, when you go to putting bass in the top 10 that hasn't really been altered for a long time in Texas, 17-pound bass. I mean, we're talking about a 17-pound bag a minute ago with five fish, and now we're talking about two 17-pounders. So that's why, you know, it may not stay its second forever. If you redo this list in 20 years, I don't know where it would be, but right now it's got to be up there. Well, let's talk about number one. So I live next to a 27,000-acre reservoir where if you catch a six-pound bass, you're pretty proud of yourself. But Lake Fork Reservoir, the same size as bass that are really big, weighing more than 17 pounds in some cases, tell our listeners about this reservoir that was literally constructed to be a bass fishing paradise. Yeah, Lake Fork, you know, when you look at that top 50, you're talking about a six-pound bass. A six-pound bass is a non-keeper. On Lake Fork, you know, you got to have, I believe they got to be 24 inches, which is essentially an eight pound bass to even keep. And it is built as a trophy reservoir. So they, they intentionally have a limit in place. Uh, like I said, I think it's 24 inches and it's one per day. So they intend for people to come from all over the country and world to that place and try to catch a fish of a lifetime. And so with that in mind, you know, when they have tournaments there, they'll have exemptions or they'll have straight catch and release to where you can catch a six pounder and still weigh it on scales and turn it loose and never have to put it in the live well. But for just a trophy fishery, for what you think about when you think about Texas fishing, and Lake Fork has the top six all-time Texas largemouth by weight, and it has seven of the top ten with those two others coming from OHIV and two of those others. And so it's uh, it's just a fishery that, I mean, legends and lore surround. And I've been there a time or two, and let me tell you, it's, the pressure shows up. Like, you, it's not easy to catch them. But just knowing you're in and around a place where there's just monsters swimming everywhere, it, it does create a whole kind of different excitement when you go fishing. Well, like you said, everything's bigger in Texas. And if you want to check out uh, the rest of the best fishing lakes in Texas, just go to fieldandstream.com, look for the article by Shea Baker, and plan on heading to Lone Star State for either a nice bag of bass or maybe a really big bass the next time you go. Shay, thanks for sharing this with us today on America Outdoors Radio. Thank you. Enjoyed it. In other news, we learned that anti-hunters are at it again, this time in Colorado. The state that just voted recently to introduce wolves into the state from out of state. Now, anti-hunters want to ban mountain lion hunting in Colorado, and they filed a notice to put on next year's ballot a measure that would outlaw mountain lion and bobcat hunting in the state. The ballot proposal requires backers to gather signatures in order to qualify for next year's general election. That's the word from Andrew McKean writing for Outdoor Life magazine. The petition is filed under the title Prohibit Trophy Hunting, and the ballot measure declares that any trophy hunting of mountain lions, bobcats, or lynx is inhumane, serves no socially acceptable or ecologically beneficial purpose, and fails to further public safety. The measure would also ban hound hunting for lions and bobcats. 
Colorado has an estimated mountain lion population of 3,000 to 7,000 animals, and their Parks and Wildlife Division authorizes about 500 lion tags a year for a season that runs from the end of November through the end of March. And I can tell you, most of those tags probably go unfilled. Now, the NA hunters say that hunting these animals fails to further public safety, but the fact of the matter is they are wrong. And all you have to do is look to the West Coast, some call the left coast, where in California, mountain lion hunting was banned and there's been an increase in conflicts between humans and mountain lions. We're talking about attacks here since that ballot measure was passed. You're seeing similar things happen in Oregon and Washington where hound hunting has been banned. And very few mountain lions are taken in either state because it's hard to do without dogs. As a matter of fact, most mountain lions that are taken are taken incidentally by deer or elk hunters who just happen to come upon a mountain lion or vice versa. And in Oregon and Washington in recent years, there have been fatal attacks, not to mention an increase in attacks, especially in Washington state where populations are expanding when it comes to mountain lions and conflicts are increasing. Part of the reason, mountain lions have lost their fear of humans because very few of them are being hunted. Same goes for California, same goes for Oregon. So I think the anti-hunters are being a little dishonest about this failing to further public safety argument they're making in Colorado. Let's hope the voters see through it this time and if it makes the ballot that they vote it down. On that note, it is time to go, but here's hoping you are blessed and that you get to spend some time in the woods, in the field, or on the water in the days ahead. It's the perfect time of year to be outdoors. So get out there and enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs>